0: That's risky. Too risky for me. I'm going to play it safe. It's what we hear all the time risk. Beware. Avoid it. At least minimize it. Is that really right? How the heck do I even know what safe is? I got to ask myself why can't risk be my friend? Like, hey, that's risky. I wonder what great opportunities it might provide. Does risk have to be a foe? Maybe it can help make us all better. Risk isn't good or bad, it just is it's a lot like gravity around us always and everywhere understanding it managing it and designing around it that's the key so let's get back to gravity for a moment a feared foe sometimes like when i stumbled down a staircase and forgot to mitigate the risk by grabbing the banister but a treasured and constant friend too like hydropower got to love that fcrps go gravity risk is something to be understood managed leveraged to create value know what you want Let your imagination go wild thinking about what could happen, and then engineer the outcome you want. Don't think of risk as an after-the-fact result, but as a design objective. Embrace risk, and no, that's not the same as betting big. It's actively designing the future you want.
1: We started in hard times to bring us all in, into the laughter through thick I'm Paul
2: Dockery, the co-host of Public Power Underground and Senior Manager of Energy Resource Strategy and Planning for Seattle City Light.
1: And I'm Almaz Nagesh, the co-host of Public Power Underground and Power Planner for Tacoma Power.
2: Joining Almaz and I is this week's celebrity guest stars are Kevin Nort and Paul Dietz.
1: Kevin North is the Chief Resource Officer for Grant County Public Utility District. Prior to his current role, he served at Grant County as its Chief Executive Officer, Chief Financial Officer, and Director of Power Management. Welcome, Kevin. Well,
0: thank you, Almaz, and thank you, Paul. Really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Love Public Power Underground. It was the highlight. Uh, of my day when a new episode comes out. And I really look forward to, you know, new episodes coming forward. It's really a lot of fun and I learned so much. So thanks for the opportunity to be part of this.
2: That means a lot, Kevin. It means a lot. You know, when we first introduced this with our news data folks, we said we want to be like the friends that are uh, showing up at your door when you refresh your app. So it feels good that you at least enjoy it when the new app comes up or the new episodes come out.
0: That's right. right on. I think you hit the mark for sure. Good,
2: good. Well, joining Almaz, Kevin, and I is Paul Dietz. Paul works at Grant County PUD as its manager of enterprise risk management. Uh Paul, can I call you Mr. Deets?
3: <laughs> you can call me anything you want. Okay. <laughs>
1: Yeah, this is two Pauls on the show. I'm used to this uh, at Tacoma Power. Everybody's named Chris for some reason. There's a second like, oh, nice. department. But here are two Pauls, Mr. Deets. Just so that we can distinguish between the two of you,
2: uh, we can. Nice. We can I'll, I'll respond to anything. But uh, Paul, it, I didn't uh, give you a great like long bio. Can you tell the audience a little bit about your experience and how you come to us uh, on Public Power Underground? Sure,
3: absolutely. Well, I'm happy to be here, Paul. Um, I'm a frequent listener of the podcast, and now I get to be a contributor on a topic that is near and dear to my heart, strategic risk management. I've been working with energy risk management for quite a while now, helping utilities understand the complexities of fully integrated two settlement markets, kind of like what we're seeing today as we're contemplating the EIM the and, the, and, the, and the EDAM, also uh, Markets Plus. Uh, for me, my career started um, a long time ago with PJM Part 1, pardon my French, <laughs> the, the dawn of MISO, PJM Part 2, the rise of ERCOT, Esprit de SPP, and now Le Voyage West. Uh, nice. A, <laughs> you take French in high school. <laughs> Russian. <laughs> but it rhymes. So <laughs> uh, I'm a professional economist uh, specializing in mathematical modeling, uh, the kind that concerns itself with de- decision making uh, with uncertainty. It's, it's, it's cool stuff and it's kept me busy uh, for sure. Oh, and on a personal detail, you know, I started playing D&D in the late 1970s while I was growing up in suburban Chicago. And the biggest treat that we ever had was going up to, uh, visit Gary Gygax and buying dice from the from the from the very store where the, the whole thing was created.
2: So no it's kind of, way he has. It's super cool. <laughs> well, that's great foreshadowing because we're gonna have a little uh d prep work later on in the episode. But before we get there, this is a term of art. So I'm a I'm an electric market enthusiast. Um, two market, two settlement markets. I, that's a great term of art for these things that I, it's not part of the normal references that I hear, but two settlement markets, that's a great way to re- define these things. And do, are we talking about settling twice, once in day ahead and once in real time, or are we talking settling twice, one for the gen and one for the load? What's the two settlement refer to?
3: Yeah, that is that's giving you the sh- the best shot you have to manage your risk up front and, and the day ahead. So most people okay. go ahead and they, they bid in most of their portfolio into the day ahead market. Uh, it's you know it's the most the most relaxed setting that you can get uh, before the excitement of the of the real time happens. So there we go, and uh, you know you're framing
2: it <laughs> you're framing it as excitement and opportunity. So Kevin, I think this is this is on brand. This feels right. <laughs>
0: Yeah, right on. No, that's a great. Paul's a great enthusiast. And uh, yeah, you know, embrace the change and see where it can take us.
2: Okay, well, let's get into it. On um, Public Power Underground, we talk about the electric utility enthusiasm trifecta of electrification, markets, and people. On today's episode of Public Power Underground, we're talking about managing market risk. With utility risk managers, we'll talk about risk from a variety of perspectives. Amaz will ask an unscripted question in a segment we call Almas's Insightful Question of the Week. And we'll set up an energy-inspired Dungeons & Dragons campaign as foreshadowed by Mr. Dietz. Then we'll close it out with closing thoughts from Paul Dietz. But before we get started, a quick word from our presenting sponsor. Almaz, did you know nuclear energy is America's largest source of climate-friendly power? Is that a thing you knew?
1: I did not know that. I would have said hydro. Um,
2: I, okay. Well, nuclear is probably in more parts of the country, probably, than hydro. Hydro is very river specific. I think. Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm, I'm very focused on the Northwest. In America, you're probably
2: right. Yes, nuclear. Sounds right. Love that about you. Okay. In fact, nuclear energy provides about 50% of the country's carbon-free electricity and Energy Northwest, our friends at Energy Northwest, is a premier provider of carbon-free electricity in the Pacific Northwest. Energy Northwest's mission is to provide safe, reliable, cost-effective, responsible power generation and innovative energy and business solutions to its public power members and regional customers. Energy Northwest is proudly advancing the Northwest climate clean energy future. To learn more. Do you know wanna do you want to know how to learn more, Amaz?
1: Yeah, give me the info. I need to know more. Okay.
2: Okay. Let's let's learn more. To learn more about Energy Northwest, visit their website, at energy-northwest.com. That's energy-northwest.com. Okay, Amaz, why don't you kick off the discussion?
1: All right. So we hope to talk about four elements of managing risk as an electric utility. First, putting uncertainty into perspective. Second, um, organizational and customer risk tolerance. Third, we'll talk about translating that risk tolerance into strategies for risk management. And finally, risk-based thinking in the context of power supply. So to get us started, Paul, Mr. Dietz, uh, can can you share with us your thoughts about uncertainty as a risk manager um, for a load serving entity with large hydro resources?
3: Oh geez, that's a, that's a big topic. Where do you begin? Uh, you know, it's possible to be so frightened by risk that you um, you're like a, a you know a scared rabbit or deer. You just freeze, and and, and uh, that's that's really not the way that uh, we would necessarily want uh, the run of utility. Uh, there's risk all around us, particularly uh, in the Pacific Northwest. Um, you know, uh, you, you can see changes in uh, the volume of water as, as maybe one of the biggest drivers of risk that we have. It's uh, volumetric uh, supply of power is, uh, it, you know, it takes a lot of time and energy and effort to, uh, to, to manage that, uh, you know, and there are lots of techniques that you can employ uh, to do that, uh, that, that we use at Grant County uh, routinely. Um, so it's, that's kind of a, a cool way of thinking about risk. Hey, uh, we're in control of at least the amount of risk that we want to take.
2: Yeah. Uh, Kevin, so you talked about this engineering of risk. Can you give us a little bit more around, uh, that putting it on into perspective and the mechanisms maybe as you approached, uh, when you entered Grant County PUD, how you approached that with your board and with your customers?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, love to, right and. Uh, You know, there's a catchy little phrase, uh, you know, the meat of risk management that uh, I heard from a fellow, Chris Davenport. I want to give him credit. uh, And I, you know, I'll loop that in here. Right. But, um, you know, like when I came into Grant, uh, which is a wonderful place and it's been a wonderful home for me for many, many years now, you know, it became clear to me that you know they were relatively risk averse, but the strategies employed were extraordinarily risky, right? And it was just kind of, like, hey, this doesn't add up, right? Now, they were perceived to be, you know, low risk, but coming back to, you know, the concept of uncertainty, you know, this, that, or the other thing may occur. What you think you're protecting yourself against, you know, is maybe not, the dimensions that are going to hit you right and so you know, well how do we change especially with a new person coming in um so you know, hey, let's try to get our arms around
2: before oh, you dig ahead. in yeah if you don't mind before you dig into like yeah. how you dealt with it then can you like mm-hmm. if you don't mind give the specific example yeah, yeah. because in like hydro planning and hydro uncertainty we think a lot about like critical water planning is a great mitigant for hydro risk but And was that one of the elements that you were dealing with when you first got to grant? Is that, can you give that a specific example?
0: Right. You know, hydro risk definitely was, you know, was there. And, you know, at the time they were employing a very intense uh, critical water type planning methodology, maybe even subcritical, which resulted in purchasing ahead in most years, and foregoing potential sales, etc., which, you know, was just resulting in, uh, you know, not reducing your risk so much, just skewing the power cost outcome that was there. So, you know, if what you were really after was to sort of bring those tails in, you know, that was not a strategy. And through discussions, in just plain English, it became very clear, you know, we don't want to be whipped around. Okay, well, then let's solve that problem, right? Because whether you plan for high water, low water, whatever, if you're not dealing with the variability, that's not changing the underlying distribution. It's just maybe changing what your economic outcome uh, may be to in a, in a way that was biased, right? And so that really, really it.
2: Uh, so that yeah, I think this is an important point because one way we think about managing risk is just changing where we plan to on our distribution of outcomes. And the way you're articulating it is, is this engineering of risk is actually trying to shorten or mitigate the tails. Is that am I synthesizing that framework? Yes, I think right? you've
0: got it, you know. I think you've got it, you know, bang on, you know. Okay. Which worked well for me and I think is a good way to go you know, is really, again, if I think of risk as uncertainty, right? There's a downside, but there may, you know, there's there's upside too. Now, what is it I might want to bear and what can I do about it, which takes me to my meat, you know, the meat of the risk sandwich, right? I can mitigate, I can eliminate, I can accept, or I can transfer, right? But fundamentally to me, you know, if what I'm trying to do is you know, reduce the uncertainty, then that's what I need to focus on. If I am just looking and saying, well, hey, I want to bias the odds of the same outcomes one way or another, um, you know, so that the probability of this occurring versus that appears to be slightly different, right? Well, what if I, uh, you know, what if I plan for average water? Well, I'll have more frequent times where I'm going to have to have a rate chew up. Versus if I plan for twenty-five percentile, right? But if I haven't done anything to change the underlying exposure, then you know, knowingly or not, I have chosen to, you know, the A and the meat there. And so, you know, knowing what it is you're trying to, trying to do, what would I like my outcome to be? I'd like it to be a lot tighter. Somebody else may say I don't care about that, but. Okay, hey, grant we wanted things tighter. So Lynn, let's work on strategies that would, you know, make the probabilities of extreme events that much smaller. And that's what we embarked on.
2: Yeah. So I think that's like kind of the first question of like understanding the paradigm for your uncertainty. Um, let's transition to risk tolerance. I, I want to get to how like how to do that from a power supply perspective, the, the shrinking your uncertainty, but we got uh, the risk tolerance topic next. So why don't you transition us on that?
1: Yeah, let's transition from thinking about uncertainty to actually discerning risk tolerance as an organization. And an area I'd like to particularly focus on is how utilities can have that internal discussion to correctly identify their own risk tolerance as an enterprise, and also how they can discern their customers' risk tolerance, and then how the two interact for a public power monopoly utility. So, um, Kevin, well, why don't you start us off? Okay, you know, and I know
0: Paul I have a lot to add. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I guess what I would say here, you know, to start you know, it's really, it comes down to me to what I would say, it's not about, you know, geeks bearing equations, right? And I think a lot of times that gets lost where, hey, you know, tell me, you know, tell me what tail var you want, or tell me, you know, what C VAR you want, or earnings at risk or, you know, measures like that. Uh, And you're often talking with customers or board members or others that, you know, are not, you know, not familiar with that jargon or something, right? So really getting down to plain English and just sort of saying, you know, you know, what do you want to see? What might you be scared of? What don't you want to happen? Can I draw a picture or something, right? I've found that that that's been a great way to go because if we're back to, you know normal people talking to geeks- bearing equations, a lot of times it's just this myth. And then, you know, we really don't understand where we're at and then it's, Oh my God, how did we get here? So, you know, what is it you might want to see? I like to try to elicit that in English and then, Hey, we'll try to convert that to a strategy. That'll get you that outcome. That seems pretty simple and it is, but it's a step I feel that's often neglected. And, uh you know, that puts you at peril if you don't know what it is you want your outcomes to get to, to be. You, you may not get to fully where you want them to be, but if you don't know and don't have that clearly articulated, you know, you're just adrift in space at that point.
2: Yeah. There's this saying, I think it, 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 I, at the heart of it is like the true genius is explaining things simply and clearly like that's the heart of genius. So, uh, Mr. Dietz, can you explain, uh, clearly yeah. like how to translate geek sparing equations into plain English <laughs> and, and the way I think at the heart of what I'm really curious about y'all's perspective on is how to get this from customers. Cause I do think yeah. that is a unique, like we're very good at talking to ourselves, yeah. but. At the heart of understanding risk tolerance for a public power monopoly utility is making sure we are
3: reflecting our customers' risk preferences. Go. Ahead. Yeah, my my mentor was he did he did the service. Uh, he said if you, if you can't explain complicated topics like risk in, in ways that that the, that most people could understand, then you haven't really done your job. So that was always his challenge. Uh, you know, I might toss out equations and talk about stochastic calculus, and uh, you know and how we 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 differentiate an, uh, an objective function. But to be honest with you, it comes right down to um, you know most customers will tell you that they want to have reasonably stable and somewhat predictable rates. So that there's an objective right there. Uh, you know. Uh, what what really excites people more than anything is when their bills change, and they don't have to change that much to get a reaction. So, you know, typically uh, the way that we look at this is in the end, your revenues and expenses need to produce um, you know some kind of stability and predictability in the in the ultimate um, uh, result, which is how does that translate into in, you know into uh, stable and predictable rates.
1: I'm just curious. So, so that's, that, that's very common sense right there that, that ultimately people are are worried about the, the dollar, like how, what's the, what's the bill at the end of the month? Mm-hmm. I think about companies like Gritty in Texas that, that took a gamble that, 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 that customers um, were, were interested in exposing themselves to re- real-time prices in order to get a deal. It was cheaper. Uh, sure. they, you know, in in the in the short term right um but then something catastrophic happens and 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 you realize that you you opened yourself up to a risk that you that you didn't real didn't realize how big it was
3: <laughs> how big it could um, get
1: so yeah. so i i'm <laughs> curious do do you, do you think that that customers um uh I, I, I don't want to sound condescending and say, do you think customers really understand the, the potential risk in, in all the different options and utilities? But um just, just, yeah, I, I'm getting back to Paul's question. Like how do, how do we uh help customers understand what, what risks are? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. a, as we try to do such, you know, different, innovative, interesting new things uh, um, as we're decarbonizing um, uh, the grid moving forward, like how, how yeah. do we, get them to understand that
3: that's a and that's a great question amaz and also you give a really good example uh people might have said hey we thought that we understood we were only exposed to uh to price uh but the fact of the matter is they learned later on that there's a there was a systematic risk that was built into Ercot's system uh, you know, as they started shutting down the grid in response to uh, grid emergencies, they were also shutting down the power to the very pumps that were pumping natural gas to the the natural gas generators that were generating electricity. So suddenly, you had to trip your plants off, and uh, it was a self sustaining issue that that eventually created the the crisis. Uh, so I would I would venture to the guess that those customers, uh, you know felt like they had an understanding of the risk that they were bearing but in fact they didn't Um, and so not only is it important that you're able to communicate that to them but that you're also telling them something that's factually true so it's up to the utility to do its job to make sure that uh, the risks are properly identified and and communicated Um, then it's up to the customers to say hey this is this is how tolerant i am to changes in in, in my uh, underlying cost of, uh, cost of electricity, uh, so there's kind of a give and take. There's an opportunity for us as risk managers to put ourselves in their shoes and 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 uh, you know try to get at that nugget. What kind of variability are can you tolerate in your budget? I think you might find that you can you can put customers into different classifications, uh, kind of depending on where they're at in life. Uh, older people with fixed income may not be as risk tolerant as as younger people uh, able to able to uh, to deal with with uh, a lot more variability. So you know there is a consumer preference for that. Um, and again, you know, from my perspective, it all translates to variability in revenue and variability in expense. Um, nine times out of ten, utilities are really focusing a lot of their attention on the expense part, which is you know where long-term planning uh, comes in, in, into play. Uh, but you might be surprised to find out that you could have variability in the revenue side as well, particularly if you have customers who are. Um, who have uh, you know who are more elastic and able to go into other other territories at a drop of a hat compared to ones who are more fixed. So these are these are some of the some of the random variables that that we have to deal with when we think about overall risk to uh, to rates.
0: If I might add a pause, you know, um, and. You know, not in any way to be condescending to you know customers and i think you know if we we think of you know, the average family out there or so you know smaller customers smaller businesses you know they're not energy you know experts and i do think you know again coming back to my theme of plain english and and, and talking to folks through surveys and others especially in public power where we we're, we are such open process right but if i look at the gritty situation right There is, uh, you know, an opportunity to get lower prices. But let me just ask you, if your bill was to quadruple in any month, would that be okay to you? Right. And probably a lot of folks would have said, oh, heck no. Right. And, you know, again, if you're coming in talking, you know, a lot of jargon and, you know, well, it's a, you know, heavy tailed uh, world we live in, and but are you okay with, you know, the leptokurtosis, uh, you know, in the distribution? Nobody knows what you're talking about. Right. But, you know, again, and, you know, I think this really falls on leadership at the utility and such. Hey, I'm talking to my customers, anybody, uh, you know, how comfortable might you be, you know, if something falls off, you know, the rent. Well, In, do we know that, that's, that's going to happen. We, maybe we don't. But what if it did? Right. And, you know, and I think talking that way so people can understand what the possibilities are is really powerful.
1: I, I agree I agree um and part of the reasons uh and we'll I guess we, we can jump off from this to the next topic later but I just wanted to add this one thing rates is something that's super interesting to me and uh like for years I've I've looked at designing all of the fanciest rates to incentivize customers to do one thing or the other but at the end of the day that like they're risk management is a feature of a flat rate right so people don't have to worry about and and sometimes I have to remind myself that um as I'm thinking about new different types of rates um I I, I have to figure out how to keep that feature still within even the fanciest rates that are trying to incentivize other things like we we, t- we can very easily lose that when we move away from from flat retail rates um anyway I've gotten
2: off my soapbox, Paul. Well, before before you roll forward, because I think I wanted to follow on on that point. Exactly. Gritty is a specific type of transfer of risk where they're transferring two types of risk. They're transferring volume and price risk. And I think we all need to reflect as utilities, and we're all electric utility enthusiasts here, but on what we do when we transfer that volume risk through a volumetric rate. So when you talk about, uh the risk of like quadrupling your bill that is actually the experience of some customers in the base case on a fixed dollar per kilowatt hour charge they will quadruple in some instances from summer to winter months and the gritty example is just an extreme where it's probably not quadruple it's 10 times because they're experiencing both the volumetric risk of increased loads because it's cold plus the price risk because the market is also experiencing a wide uh, cold snap. So they're experiencing that volatility of price as well. Gritty is a grift, but we also need to think about as electric utility enthusiasts, making sure we're communicating that volumetric risk to our customers and making sure we're not just transferring that risk blindly, making sure if we can provide value in mitigating that risk for our customers to provide to write predictability of their bill, not just their rate that we should. That's true. That was my soapbox.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And so if I if I might say, you know, you know, it's communicating is super important, at least, you know, from my perspective, and hearing and taking that, and I'll come back to this idea of designing the outcome. Right. So if I'm hearing from somebody collectively that, you know, we want predictable and stable results. And you know, our current situation may be where, hey, you know you're going to see your bill be three times higher in the winter than the summer. But right? well, that's not what you want. Well, then we as electric utility enthusiasts, right, we have the opportunity to say, "Well, let's change the product we're offering to yeah. the customer so that they could get." That price outcome they want. Now they may say, well, I don't like my summer rate going up. Well, hey, look, there's no free lunch, and we have to explain that, right? But that's where I think really having that ongoing dialogue of, you know, what is it you want? If what you want is mitigate the downside and keep the upside and don't pay for that, who doesn't? Right. But that is not reality. But here is what it would cost to get you the outcome you say you seek. Are you really willing to pay for that? But Again, that I think is a real key thing uh, in that, you know, we're not stuck with the hand we're dealt. Every day, yep. you know, we can think about changing the hand up to and including buying and selling resources in the long run or whatever. So I think that's a really powerful tool. I,
2: I, I don't want to actually transition off this quite yet because I want to get back to the heart of this question, which is assessing risk tolerance. So. Th- like there are utilities, and I think it is probably a utility best practice to survey your customers fairly regularly to figure out how they if they appreciate the you know customer service and and that kind of thing. How do do you have any best practices, Mister Deets, the our genius communicator of risk, about how to communicate effectively exactly what Kevin just described, which is this this ability to provide you certainty month to month um and it's a different product choice any thoughts there on if that's if we can actually survey for that effectively
3: with our customers yeah Yeah, we call that talking about prices and there are two ways that you can do it one is you can talk about prices with your customers Uh, and you know we're talking about forming focus groups uh, asking about you know some key questions if you have the ability of on the margin uh, reducing your risk with a you know with a small um, with a small but known payment, right? How much risk would you like to see taken away from you? and what are you willing to pay for that? So these are these are nice. You can get you can get together with 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 randomly selected focus groups that really focus on your rural, uh, uh, customers, your, your, your urban customers, your industrials, your, your commercial accounts, however you want to, to cross section your, your customers, but form them in a, in a focus groups and really get down to the details of talking about prices. Um, the other way that, that we do it, and this really is important for utilities who have a lot of industrial and large commercial loads. Uh, that tend to be highly elastic. And what I mean by that is, that's a fancy geek word, elastic. I mean, we'll just talk about- Price responsive. uh, Yes, right. If you charge me uh, three and a half cents, I am here forever. If you charge me five and a half cents, I'm gone tomorrow. Uh, And and there's something there in between where you're going to start getting, they're going to start sweating (laughs) and start thinking about maybe going somewhere else. So you really have to know your customers well. And the best way of doing that is to look around, Um, look at other utilities, start with the ones that are about your size and take a look at what they're charging their customers and how volatile their rates are. But then go beyond it, go to the larger IOUs and places that are experiencing some significant anomalies in pricing. A lot of people don't realize that if you are in parts of Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, you may actually consistently be paid to take power. It's kind of a hard thing to think about, but there's there are some places that consistently have negatively priced power um and so you know you're kind of up against that right you have to ask yourself what do i have to offer my customers and do my customers even want to live where i'm serving my load so uh i'd start there tell you the truth
2: it's good and it's good uh good ways to figure out our risk tolerance good ways to serve our customers for risk tolerance why don't we pivot to the next topic around risk awareness all right
1: yeah having discussed the framing for uncertainty and identified our our risk tolerance, the next topic um, we'll discuss is how utilities translate that risk tolerance into strategies for risk management. Um, So we're particularly interested in focusing on instruments for mitigating risk and whether those instruments change if we evolve into a centrally dispatched and or to settlement market. Um, so let's let's start with you this time
3: uh, Paul. Oh geez, where do you want me to where do you want me to begin? Uh, I've got a lot to say on both but uh, you know one thing that I really found to be quite interesting uh, when when I came to Grant County um, was the use of uh, slice of system sales uh, that um, Kevin really was responsible for for putting into our portfolio uh, and um, you know, not, not, I might be stealing Kevin's thunder, but the the cool thing about this is we're exchanging variability in production because, uh, obviously we're, we're just about entirely hydro in our portfolio. And we really are, you know, stuck with whatever water happens to be coming down, uh, the Columbia, uh, you know, so, you know, we've got variable production, but at the same time, um, you know, our customers are really craving that stability. And so, you know, are there ways that you can actually stabilize your volume? Um, you know, while um, you know, maybe exchanging a little bit of the upside to that uh in, in exchange for like missing some of the downside, not having enough water. So by uh, by selling that variable output and buying back a fixed quantity of power, you you end up. Uh, you know, essentially reducing the, the the risk to the customer to simply price variability, um, which, uh, which is kind of cool. It's super
2: cool. I want to talk more about it. Maybe we can come back to you when we get to the, the new instruments in a two-settlement market. But it. I do want to pivot to Kevin to talk about how Grant got to this concept. I think slice of the system is an incredibly useful instrument for hydro generation, Kevin. I once described slice as basically a tolling agreement on a hydro facility, Um, and I want to know if uh, how how wrong I was, and anything else you want to talk about how Grant got to the idea of a slice product. So you know, at first I think what I would say is you know,
0: if your reference of slice is you know the Bonneville slice, you know. That's a particular conception of slice. It's not necessarily the only one, right? I'm not fair. saying good, That's bad, fair. whatever, right? That's fair. That's fair. But, yep. you know, I think one of the things, and I'll go back maybe to your last question before we pivoted, not to take us down a bad field, right? you asked like, best practices in the utility, um, you know, biz. And I would suggest, you know, we all could benefit by watching other sectors particularly things like insurance and the reinsurance industry right that is their game and okay. it takes back to the question here right so i came to grant as the power manager and you know hey great people great assets you know it's not anything that probably wasn't known there was some you know tension with some of the growth starting we had some financial challenges uh and you know there were some general frustration so sitting down and listening to people asking them what they want board members customers etc it became very clear to me you know well what you want you know is stable and predictable outcomes right and okay you know what is that what does that mean right I'll, I'll draw a picture and tell me you know you know would you like to have an outcome that like you know never varied more than this and again it wasn't about the math yeah All right, you know, and there was also push, um, you know, to reduce liquidity reserves, which were probably skinny at the time anyway, right? And you know, so well, if you want to keep costs low, and cost of money is one of your biggest costs, and if you reduce liquidity, you know, if you reduce your ready reserves, that's going to pressure your credit rating. You know, these things don't coexist, but could, right? And this is where I think one of the things we always have to remember is we can invent instruments, right? So what kind of invented there was. Well, I'm going to come back to the meat, right? Mitigate, eliminate, accept, or transfer, right? Well, we have been accepting all this hydro risk, right? But we don't seem to want that hydro risk, right? What we want is the benefit of average water without the variability of the underlying distribution, right? Well, how might we get that? Well, if you look around, there's a lot of folk that don't have really any exposure to hydro. Right. And adding some hydro exposure in their portfolio was actually going to be risk reducing for them and it'll be risk reducing for us. Oh, and it doesn't hurt that we got a lot of flexibility with a nice pond and fast ramping, which brings a premium. Right. So looking out at you know, who's exposed to what in a general sense, what do my you know, customers really want, my board and customers? Well, you know, they want to, you know, sort of have a Sunday driver they can count on every week, but they're not looking for any excitement. Well, here's an opportunity to transfer risk in a way that's beneficial for somebody else that mitigates ours. You know, as we reduce that hydro risk, it took pressure off carrying as many reserves, right? And, you know, ultimately, as we, you know, proved it out, we basically hedged out all the hydro risk, right? You know, I'm a happy camper to say, I haven't looked at a water forecast in 10 years because, you know, every year is average at grant. Now that's just an example, right? But it really came from hearing, you know, what is it my main stakeholders were after and thinking about, well, what's getting me is, you know, all this acceptance and exposure to the hydro variability you know, how many people have that out in the universe of market participants? Not many. Who could use it, right? And especially around this time was the dawn of you know the wind boom, right and the high wind high water. Yep. gosh, sound to me like there's a lot of people that could use some uh, flexible resource to help mitigate their risks. You don't have water exposure, you need flexibility. I got flexibility. I want to reduce water exposure. Boom, right? If you think like a reinsurance company, and, uh, you know, look for opportunities where there's mutual benefit, you know, you can create stuff. And if an office, you know, off the shelf, plain vanilla instrument, like a WSPP forward or a fixed for float slot, you know, isn't going to do it for you. Then think about how you can invent an instrument that can work good for you work good for me. Right. So
1: brilliant. I that's love kind it. of the story. That is brilliant.
2: Did you have a question, Amaz, Or I wanted to pivot back to. I
1: just think it's brilliant. No. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You
2: can, we can invent instruments. There's nothing preventing us from being creative and and figuring out strategies to uh, where we have strengths and complement other people's weaknesses and where they have strengths, they can complement ours. It sounds like a Dungeons and Dragons campaign coming up. Uh, <laughs> but I wanted to come back to you, Mr. Dietz, around, you know, in the Northwest, we are thinking about two settlement markets um, and there probably are existing instruments that are a little bit different than what we use in the bilateral today, um, but may not be fully uh, bespoke instruments. Can you talk a little bit about whether there's new ways to manage risk in in a two settlement market? Uh,
3: there definitely are. Uh, you say new ways, ways that have been around for uh, about twenty-five yes. years. New to but us, new to but us. Not, it's not. kind of new. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and and you know, I like to go back to the basics. It's like, uh, what are the real risks that we're that we're interested in 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 managing? Uh, if you want to talk about really talk about the two settlement market, one is the risk that we've inve- invested hundreds of millions of dollars well, we'll just say maybe billions and billions of dollars in transmission uh to create uh the world's largest machine ever known uh and that's what we have in the, in 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 the WAC. um it is a, it's, a, it's a massive machine and it's one that a lot of people might not recognize is is hardly being used driven to church on sundays is oh. about it now this is a radical concept you say what are Hot you talking take. about we're hardly using our, our transmission grid because the fact of the matter is we we, we interact with it based upon these contractual fictions Oops. that really have nothing to do with the way that electrons flow uh, but we're, we're really really concerned about wow wait a minute I, I, I'm afraid I'm going to lose access to my the thing that I built this this piece of this network this machine. I want to make sure that I always have access to that. And it's like, well, forget about it. What you really want is to have access to the machine itself. And so the number one risk that we're trying to solve here is donate all of the use of that of of all those assets to to uh, to a regional a regional entity who's going to make that machine hum and be used so much more efficiency efficiently 25 to 30 percent of the grid is not being used uh today and so the biggest the biggest benefit and the and, and the biggest risk we're managing is by getting that machine to do more for us which to me is, I think, the job of engineers. <laughs> I mean, to be, just to be honest. Uh, but that is what the two settlement market brings. Suddenly you have access to more power. Uh, you, you are, you are uh, wasting opportunities far less frequently. And you're trying to get to that magical moment where on the margin, everyone across this marketplace is paying roughly the same. Um, and so, man, that is super cool. And that's where we have to get to, that's, that is the golden, uh, um, you know, horde that we're really trying to get in this, in this, uh, Dungeons and Dragons (laughs) episode, right? You have to slay that fire dragon and (laughs) figure out how to get that 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 horde uh and 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 that's what we're doing but uh what i usually tell people is if you want to have a pretty good idea of how to manage the process and the risks of making a market transformation all you really have to do is look at where it's already happened so that pgm model is excellent miso spp you know ERCOT has some challenges, but those challenges have a lot more to do with the fact that they're an isolated entity like an island under themselves, then uh, that they they had any anything totally, uh, you know, wrong with their market construction, it had really had more to do with their isolation. Um, long story short, though, is that is where we're really trying to get to. And, and, and I think that's what we are our customers, because ultimately, we can bring them more stable rates. And not have to say, "Hey, because we can't really get any power delivered to us somehow from this, you know, South Nevada, we're going to have to build a whole bunch of assets closer to home, and that's going to be more expensive, and it's going to be less efficient, and we're going to have to build even more transmission just to support this thing." Let's fix the, the real problem, and that's really kind of where where I'm coming uh, at it. Uh, it's, it's 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 that's the big story as far as I'm concerned. So if, I'm still I'm gonna have
1: to
2: process that hot take so you go with your question Amaz.
1: um I, I I'm just I'm I'm am I understanding you correctly with regard to the transmission part that 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 step involves uh centralized ownership of the transmission grid um and if so um is that a are you proposing public ownership of transmission?
3: No, Lord, no, oh no, the public can't do that. No, you want to manage risk, you keep that private ownership. You're really just turning over control. So, so I, like I like the idea that I can go and invest in in transmission lines, and I know that uh, the the region's going to pay me for my investment. They'll even give me a return on my investment, and that's fantastic. That is using my capital in a, in, in the most cost effective way. Um, the the real issue here is is turning over the control of, of of the asset so that we can actually use the machine the way it's being designed in a, in a more efficient way. So it's really just the the it's the pilot in essence. You know we're saying hey, we don't know how to use this thing you figure it out and that's what this that's what that uh, that, that regional transmission operator is for.
1: So one one last question: uh, Do you think that it's possible to do that? And because I, I think people get hung up on the concept of winners and losers, and that it once you you know give up that ownership or that control, um, there'll be a time when when you'll come out on the short end of the stick uh, in, in that in that whole um, you know, greater optimi- optimization. Um, do you foresee that being an issue? Um, and, and if so, is it, is it, is it just, you know, a a perceived issue or is it a real issue?
3: You know, I think it's all perceived issue and, and it's absolutely not a real issue. If you want to know, um, you know, is it possible to do this or what people think about doing it, uh, ask the folks in the new England States, ask the folks in New York, uh, in all the PGM States, Pennsylvania, Maryland, New Jersey, Virginia, all the MISO states, all of the states that are in SVP, all of those folks figured out how to do this, and they and they realized that holy smokes, that was the answer. Um, so, do I think it's possible? Not only is it possible, but it's it's this this would be a simple, just a, a repeat of what people have already done. Um, so, yeah, there's no reason why we can't get there. Yeah,
0: maybe if you don't mind, maybe I'll just add, you know, you know, it it it's. It the right model because you can get more you know out of out of the machine you know i wouldn't want to downplay how easy it is given you know the cultural inertia and all that so just you know i think we want to be clear clear there right but you know one of the things to me i think so is a good one to highlight you know relative to your question is you know life's not static right so you know might i be a loser well, what exactly does that mean, right? Am I going to be, if if something happens, am I going to be a systemic loser where I'm just going to keep losing for decades going forward? Or maybe relative to where I think I am right now, may I incur, you know, some additional costs so I seem like I'm worse off, right? But what is the horizon to be thinking about there, right? Because it may bring many other opportunities, right? And so, you know, again, well, if we move to this type of, arrangement, you know, it seems like maybe my transmission costs may go up. Well, on the other hand, uh, you know, if we can open up access, uh, even without new builds, to resources that otherwise wouldn't have been available because you just didn't have the visibility in the bilateral market, right? When you're thinking winner and loser, are you properly thinking about what that may uh, happen? You know, I think there's always a risk that you know one can you know make the winner and loser determination based on sort of, you know, where am I standing right now, assuming all else equal now and into the future. But I've rarely found all else equal, you know, into the future. And you know, where you said, like, you know, what if I get the short end of the stick? You know, even the best traders and you know, risk managers probably on the short end of the stick, you know, a third of the time or whatever, right? So again, I I think it really comes down to, you know, how do you build strategies and portfolios that mitigate, you know, persistent losses, but one needs to be careful coming to, you know, this idea of error of omission, that maybe you're not thinking about where the world may be going, whether you want it to or not. And, how does your current, you know, status quo hold up in that?
2: Yeah, it's been super insightful. I, it's not the direction I thought talking about instruments available in a two settlement market would go, um, but I think I leave it to Mister Deets to elevate the conversation and talk about the major risks. And I, and, and while I agree that uh, central transmission operations probably relieve some of the congestion on the grid. I do think there are probably instances within the grid where it will also identify constraints. And I think this gets us back to this like theme of understanding your risk tolerance, but then also be aware of what your actual risk is and participating in something like a regional transmission organization that actually quantifies the congestion locationally is a great risk awareness mechanism and the transparency of the two settlement market that includes a congestion component on an lmp opens up your ability to mitigate risk because you actually know what your risk is whereas today you just have contract path rights and don't really know all you have is pro curtailment based on priority not real awareness of congestion risk for your load or resource yeah. I'm gonna end these. I think I'm ending all these on a soapbox. This is a new <laughs> thing for me, I think. Well, but this has been really helpful. Did I synthesize <laughs> that right?
3: You did. It. it, it you know. If, if another way of thinking about it is kind of in the old days. You know, you didn't really know where the ogres were. Uh, they were. They were constantly uh, raiding. Uh, people going up and down uh, uh, the highway and stealing from them. And uh, they didn't realize it. You know, honestly, it's like, you would never hear from these people, they disappear, where'd the gold go. And so finding where the congestion is, is kind of like finding out where the ogres are and and like taking them out, right, (laughs) and eliminating them, so that they're no longer stealing from you. And I think that's, that's really where we're going with it. Yep, I love it. Another uh, (laughs) foreshadowing
2: to our campaign coming up. Okay, Almaz, uh, why don't we pivot to the next section and uh, and learn Uh some more?
1: All right. So to recap, this is the final one, right? So first, we talked about putting uncertainty into perspective. Uh, Second, organizational and customer risk tolerances. Um, and then, of course, we've just now wrapped up translating risk tolerance into strategies for risk management. And this last area of focus um, are risks that are unique to power supply, especially during the energy transition. So can you walk us through risk-based thinking in the context of power supply? It's operational horizons, planning horizons, dependencies between the time scales. How they may interact and the, the perils of errors of trans of omissions, um, and this time we'll we'll start with you, Kevin. Okay,
0: thanks, Amaz. And there's a lot there. I know we won't have time to, you know, go deep. Nor do myself or Paul, you know, claim that we have all the answers or anything. But we can share a little bit about how we're thinking about things, right? And you know, kind of this idea of timeframes. I think is, you know, an important thing and something Paul and I, through brainstorming sessions, or Mr. Dietz, uh, so we don't get confused, uh, you know, around things like, hey, we work in, you know, sort of an incremental way, mostly day to day, right? And as you rightly point out, we've got this big transition coming, right? I mean, it's really big. I've heard over my 30 plus years in this business, you know, what's coming, you know, in 1992, it's the biggest thing ever. In 1997, it's the biggest thing ever. In 2002, the biggest thing ever, right? But I do think, you know, I don't know that I'll say this transition will be the biggest thing ever, but it's probably really big given, you know, huge structural change. And we're talking about doubling the capacity of the WAC, etc. right? And so, you know, if we're used to thinking about you know i mean not today but over the last decades right you know small incremental changes how do i eke a little bit more value out of you know resources in my portfolio i'll use a calculus analogy right we're looking at you know infinitesimal changes trying to move along and you know it really started to occur to us that you know with disruptive new technologies you know where 15 years ago, we were looking at $450 plus a megawatt hour solar plants, you know, in the Northwest. And now, you know, you're well, well below that. We've seen a bounce up. Uh, You know, we've seen huge opportunities with analytics and demand side management and other things, you know, where do we need to be aware of thinking like, hey, if I'm too focused on what I'm currently doing, Uh, and trying to make it just a bit better, you know, are there figuratively nonlinearities out there and discontinuities that are going to jump up and maybe eat your lunch, right? I always like to remind, you know, the folk at Grant, you know, we don't want to be Kodak, Um, you know, hopefully we're not IBM, but at least IBM realized before it was too late, right? And by that, you know, Kodak, you know, we're thinking of protecting the cash cow and how can we, you know, make film a little bit better? We missed the big picture that the world is moving, right? IBM riding a horse of mainframes until Lou Gerstener, an outsider, you know, came in and, you know, you got to get off this or you're going to be dead, right? So that's really kind of what we're thinking about, you know, operational short-term marketing and hedging. You know, there's a lot to think about there, but it doesn't naturally extend itself into a planning horizon. And really stepping back and sort of holistically thinking, you know, who knows where the world's going? I certainly don't. But if I try to think about, you know, wild things that could happen, am I going to be robust against those things? And what may be the, you know, the option that I need to focus? Am I really most worried about, hmm, you know, this element of price formation? May cost me a little bit in the near term. Yeah, I mean, I want every penny, I believe me, right? But at the same time, if I'm not thinking, say, perhaps about, hmm, the real value of this transition may be able to get a pipe all the way into the Eastern interconnect and take advantage of a huge diversity of resource, you know, that's the first order with, you know, that small price formation element may actually be a third order uh, issue. Again, not that we don't care about it. What are we focusing on? You know, what might be the big wins? And are we doing that in a way that may be robust? You know, failure to, to imagine, failure to think about what could happen and what others are doing around you, you know, could be really costly. And it's easy to get tied up in thinking about how am I going to look a year from now if I you know, if the world changes this way? Yeah, but what opportunities might it give me and how do I capture those? Because again, I got a lot of degrees of freedom there. So.
2: One of the things I wanted to uh, tee you up on, Mr. Dietz, is, is Kevin talked a little bit about the failure of omissions and the creativity needed to think about the first order issues first. Um, and it sounds to me, for a field that's filled with engineers, it takes a lot of creativity um and maybe outside the box thinking to be a good risk (laughs) manager can you talk a little bit about like what you need to do as an organization to think
3: about risk management outside of just a stochastic model it takes all types i'm not an engineer i'm an economist uh and and, uh, i just happen to love math i sat with the engineers in the, in the math classes, <laughs> but uh, we love you know, to have you. We enjoyed it. <laughs> you know, the, the key there really is, you know, people, people themselves just naturally creative. It doesn't matter really what you do, uh, you know, necessary for a living, uh, you know, being, being exposed to, you know, environments that, that not only um, not only require creativity, but actually nurture it, cherish it. Uh, and support the development of new ideas. That's that's kind of important if you want to have out of the box thinking, and it's also necessary to, to come up with solutions that maybe uh, other people haven't thought about. And so I would I would craft that. Um, you know, one thing that Kevin said I I want to emphasize. You know, oftentimes uh, we throw out the adequate or the pretty darn good as we're seeking perfection and in the process destroy the ability to actually give us flexibility um, and find unexpected results Um, so a good example would be let's let's say that for some reason um you know uh, we 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 decide that by 2045 we truly want to drive every last gram of released carbon out of our portfolios uh but at what cost right? At, at ultimately, what cost and, 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 and at what volatility of uncertainty uh, at the other at the end, other end of this, when we're talking about rates, <laughs> stability and predictability of our rates, it's like, you know, we really have to think about solving practical problems. Uh, that that are moving in the direction of decarbonization that's one of the big challenges one of the big constraints that we're trying to solve for while at the same time still figuring out ways of better using what already what already exists um, and uh, you know not abandoning and walking away from perfectly good capital in the pursuit of the next rate case you know, bulging out our, 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 our rate bases so that we can make sure that our shareholders are happy. Forget about the customer. Forget about stable and predictable. What we really want to do is what can I get away with? What can I jam into my portfolio? Bad idea, right? I mean, it's just a bad idea because ultimately, you forget about what's really important here. Um, and uh, so as we're managing risks, I really think that we need to think about some of the bigger pictures and be willing to challenge our beliefs, right? uh you know and and how we go about solving ice problems we had uh
2: dr emily grubert and dr frank and croper on one of our episodes and dr gruber talked a lot about managing the mid transition and exactly the dynamic dynamics you're talking about mr deets where it's you know making sure you're thinking about this transition to a fully decarbonized system and thinking about it as a system not just power supply but also Mm -hmm. homes and transport and your social systems. I I wanted to put you on the spot, Amaz, because one of the things I think about a lot is making sure the models we're building and the models we're using allow, like the outputs are effectively communicated what the scope of the value of that output is, but also making sure we're thinking about systems and our models within a system and where we need to be analyzing outside of that model to make sure we're taking it account that social system. Have you thought about that? Do you have any grand insights into that, Almaz, since we've been doing these uh, things together?
1: So if I understand your your question correctly, are you talking about how um, our models have to be a bit more integrated and consider things outside of what might be typically, you know, covered in that particular model? For example, the IRP looking at. Ex- yeah.
2: Line. Like how totally. are we going to do an IRP when it's like, yeah, I got to think about housing, not just power but housing and transport and like what's the most effective way to transport people not necessarily just how do I deliver an electron to a home like how are we going to do that
1: Amaz yeah you know first of all well we don't do that unless we know that we need to be doing that so first yeah, I guess the first step is is recognizing that that's something that we even need to to do
2: we recognize that right Amaz we need to do that right Amaz
1: yeah so, so call together the stakeholders, that's the next that's step.
2: Right. Well, that was my unfair question of the week. Next up is Almaz's uh, insightful question of the week. We'll hit the typewriter. Um, next is our TIL segment uh, that I call Almaz's insightful question of the week because she asks our guests what she calls, quote, unfair questions, but are really incredibly insightful if unfiltered and unscripted. So what do you got for him this week, Almaz?
1: Yeah, so you know, uh, a, a, a minute ago, Paul, Paul Deets uh scoffed at the at the idea of public ownership of transmission. And so- I
2: heard that. You need to get him
1: on that. We're public power, right? So this got me thinking, Paul. So, like, do you think that there's uh comparing um public power with private power? Are there any um significant differences in the 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 types or even the magnitude of of risk? Um when you compare public power with with um, with with private uh, utilities um, or or even in the the, the risk mitigation uh, strategies, like are, are there differences between between these two types of utilities?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. If you look at the history of power, um, you know fortunately, this is like modern history. So you don't have to look back very far to find out that uh, it made a lot of sense to electrify the big cities. You can make money, uh, and then full stop. That's it. Yep, nowhere else. So I know of people who didn't, uh, in their families, they didn't get electrified until the late 1930s. Uh, you know, so that was probably about 40 years after, maybe more, maybe closer to 50 years after some of the first cities got they got electric power. So if we think about what that really means, um, there's always going to be room for public power for public ownership. Um, and, it's, it, and it's going to be exactly where you'd expect it to be, in those places where it's kind of hard to necessarily make that margin. Um, but that being said, uh, politics are always way too close to the public in public power. And oftentimes, politics will bind. They'll constrain you from finding good solutions that are maybe more cost effective. And so uh, like like any kind of uh, family or a household, diversity is good Uh, and and having different sources of capital and having different forces on the allocation of that capital makes for a stronger portfolio. Why is that important Uh, from a risk perspective? Well, it does tend to reduce the uncertainty of, of performance of that that portfolio, by having a healthy mix, um, you can see some of the distortions that were that 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 exist in, um, in our industry by looking uh, a little bit south uh, to California, uh, where you know politics are binding uh, practical solutions, keeping people from uh, being able to actually uh, respond to incentives. Uh, in, in ways that are efficient. Uh, oftentimes the system is creating uh, incentives to, for example, rooftop solar. Uh, the, the distortions at rooftop solar in, in California are phenomenal. And as an economist, I look at that and I say, that's a that's a really odd way of organizing yourself. The wealthiest of the state get a big benefit. The poorest of the state, they have to pay for all the infrastructure it's not too cool from my perspective and i think it ha- it damages society but that's what happens when you have uh politics binding good solutions so um it's healthy for us to mix it up uh and and to have uh you know, and to have different responses depending on the different needs uh i think that
1: if, if, if i if i were to summarize that into one sentence are you saying that um Politics is a risk. It it itself is the risk for public power.
3: Politics. uh, Okay. Often governance, the governance risk of of that is it it just, it binds us, keeps us from finding better solutions.
1: We're going to have to have a discussion.
3: (laughs) We'll have some offline (laughs) discussions, (laughs) but we need to let
2: Kevin in on the unfair question of the week. Kevin's not getting away without answering (laughs) Almaz's unfair question of the week.
0: Oh, no, I was, uh, you know, a little worried there. Um, Oz, what are you going to bring for us? But um, I'm eager to jump in here. And I'm probably on okay. the, uh, maybe the other side of Paul, actually. I, I am a, uh, you know, <laughs> Paul Dietz. Uh, and hey, you know, different ideas of what make the world go round, right? Exactly. So, um, you know, but I I believe, you know, yeah, there may be you know, political risk and, and barriers in public power. But I think those... You know, exist in private power. I spent, you know, half or more of my career in the private side. And I've come over to the public side and I've, I've enjoyed it. I enjoyed my time on the private side, right? Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, I think, uh, you know, given there's got a lot of small entities, maybe with some different political views on the public side, at least in the Northwest, um, you know, what we don't have is some of the regulatory uncertainty that uh, you're faced with on the iou side right and things like well you got regulatory lag or disallowance and prudence issues and such right so you know i don't know that there's any perfect model but i think That's true. Uh, you know public <laughs> public ownership of uh you know transmission assets and large-scale transmission assets can be you know a really good thing and when i say that that doesn't you know, eliminate the possibility of, uh, you know, a mix, you know, mixed ownership and development of, you know, some public and private entities, you know, I think thinking about things differently, and saying, you know, okay, you know, what may be some of the barriers we're facing here in the Northwest, right, we've got, um, you know, different state policies. But, you know, with the general theme of being, uh, you know, very aggressive on the types of resources we can bring to bear, right? There's a few options and grants pursuing both, uh, you know, for firm, dependable, clean capacity. But, uh, you know, one of the greatest opportunities is, uh, you know, diversity and and managing your portfolio correlation, right? You know, right. Hey, if we got to build a lot of solar or wind or something up in this area, you know, that can actually be really risky. And I think you see that in some of the studies, you know, look at what uh, you know, PPC and, and our uh, Northwest River Partners studies showed to replace, you know, the, the, the lower snakes. Um, you know, hey, if we could find a way to leverage... Um, those expansions without you know any one of us taking a big bet. I'm not a big fan of you know take a big bet let's just assume the place to put a straw in from the northwest is New Mexico and that didn't work out and we bear the costs, right? So which does take me to the you know why I like centralized transmission
1: you know development
0: because I think it reduces both costs and risks over time. But I really think there's a great opportunity for public power and public power in the Northwest. You know, what we don't have, you know, the biggest of us still have relatively small balance sheets relative to, you know, the IOUs. Uh, so that that is an Achilles heel, but how can we jujitsu that, right? We don't have, to deal with multi-state regulators, nothing wrong with state regulators, and I don't mean that in the criticism, right? But, you know, we are freer to do certain things. And if we align and partner, you know, we can get that balance sheet half and try to move things forward, you know? And again, if we think about the core of the public power model, you know, we're trying to serve our customers, you know, with what they want, you know, at the lowest cost. Uh, Well, if what they want, you know, because they're voting for people that are voting for some of these policies, you know, on average is these outcomes. Well, you know, if we work together and if we kind of move out of the mindset that what's Bonneville going to do for us or I wish someone would have built this and say, you know, we can build this together. You know, I would argue our political and regulatory barriers are lower than the private side. Their capital strength is probably you know, stronger than us. I think opportunities to team up there, just publics together, or maybe, you know, a mixed public-private, you know, is a great opportunity to try to open up areas where we otherwise wouldn't be. And then, you know, of course, that leads me right back to the two settlement markets, which is, you know, Bilateral markets are always going to be incomplete. You know, anybody that's been a day ahead trader or a real time, you're racing the clock, right? You're never going to be able to pursue every last trade. You just don't have the visibility. So, hey, you know, uh, I think there's a golden opportunity, you know, and I said it in SMR space, you know, I believe that, you know, a consortium of publics few large, maybe with a few small, that's probably, you know, the best place to mind developing an advanced nuclear plant. Because again, you know, some of the freedoms we enjoy, when we work together, yes, you've got to deal with some minor differences. But I would argue, and bet pretty strongly that, you know, our political barriers are internally are going to be lower than those that many of our brethren, you know, in a different sector face. So,
1: Thanks, Kevin.
2: Did you feel good about your answers, Omaz?
1: And I'm happy that I got two ends of a spectrum. So we
2: did. You. We got both ends of the spectrum. We're public power underground. So Mr. Deeps took a kind big back. I felt like I was in there. the middle there. I thought <laughs> he took a big back going against a lot of public power interests, especially, especially when he's on an episode with two entities that serve urban areas anyway <laughs> we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we'll close out the episode with an energy inspired dungeons and dragon campaign and then mr deets closing thoughts public power underground is brought to you by nwppa The Northwest Public Power Association believes in the power of training and education. Every year, more than 6,500 public power employees learn and network at our classes, webinars, workshops, and conferences. NWPPA offers more than 250 events, wowzer, to choose from in areas such as leadership, engineering, operations, accounting, and finance, communications, and many more. Sometimes this very podcast, Public Power Underground, is broadcast live from one of our events we call that being more powerful together what will you learn this year find an event that's right for you at nwppa.org forward slash catalog that's nwppa.org forward slash catalog okay Dungeons and Dragons the movie is now available on streaming platforms and creatively managing risk by leveraging your strengths to maximize the likelihood of beneficial outcomes when solving problems while pretending to be a fantastical character has a lot of similarities to utility planning. I recruited a dungeon master, Ian Bledsoe, to help us facilitate a campaign in 10 minutes or less. He couldn't make it. So instead, We're just going to talk about characters and strategies in a game I'm calling Dams and Distributions.
1: (laughs) Okay. You
2: you feel better to get out the name? Ian couldn't make it, unfortunately. But um, I think it's probably in 10 minutes. Mr. Dietz, it sounds like you actually play Dungeons and Dragons, so it sounds like we wouldn't actually have been able to get through a campaign anyway. So just talking about
3: characters may be the way oh, to go. Holy smokes. Yeah. No, I mean, just the whole idea. This this is marvelous. And given the the uh, ascension of the game again, uh, uh, it's fantastic. I hope I hope that we can build upon the theme. Uh, but, a, but a campaign of this, uh, this would be like epic. You know, in fact, I think we might be engaging in uh, this this campaign right now. You know, over the next ten years. So uh, that's right, well, uh, like <laughs> a a slow running. Like, I mean, that is that is Dungeons
2: and Dragons, right? It's just a, a game, a campaign that takes a decade. Yeah, um, and some yeah. people you lose along the way. Yeah. Okay, so what we're gonna do is I'm gonna. um, I'm going to try to basically describe some characters. We're going to go around. People can pick which character they want to be. And then after you pick which character we're going to be, you wanna be, we'll talk about just some strategies they could employ as characters within our game of utility planning. Awesome. Um, so I had three, four types of characters, because I was gonna pick one too, but I'm gonna facilitate as like the dungeon master. That's scary. Um, but I'll describe the four, and then we're going to go and we're going to start with Kevin. You're going to pick first, then Amaz, and then Paul, you will get to pick last. I came up with four characters, okay? First, a knight with public power armor. And a knight, apparently, in Dungeons and Dragons, called a paladin. Is that right, Paul? The good ones. The good ones. Well, this would be a good one because
3: it's public power. <laughs> there you
2: go. Uh, so you got a Paladin <laughs> with public power armor uh, where anytime you get hit, the damage applies equally to everyone else on the uh, campaign. So that's the. it's a magical armor. So if you get hit, it's just like it's a pooled risk and it hits everybody else uh, in your campaign. That's the Paladin with public power armor that you could choose. Next, I have a Druid with investor owned potions. So, flexible usage for your potions, but a high marginal cost to replenish. Okay, that's the second thing you can choose. The third is a fighter character with a slice of the system sword, which is highly dependent on the constitution and wisdom of the person that's using it. But this sword, the slice of the system sword, can get bigger or smaller depending on how big of an enemy you're facing. Kind of a toka slice of the system sword and that is for the four people who know what a toka is that listen to this (laughs) podcast okay and the last one the fourth one you can choose is a wizard with a pseudo dragon that flies on the wind and breathes fire as bright as the sun the pseudo dragon is kind of flighty so you you gotta you gotta make sure it's around but when it's around it's really helpful and really uh Really powerful. So those are our four characters. We're going to start with you, Kevin. Which character would you choose?
0: All right. Well, I guess I get the luck of the draw to go first. So sorry to foreclose some choices on you, Almaz and, and Mr. Deets. But uh, uh, without question, I'm right on that druid. Uh, yeah,
2: you're I, right you on know. the druid. <laughs>
0: that right on the druid yes yes and it, okay. it's not given my old investor owned you know my investor owned uh history it's
2: uh you like that I'll, flexibility
0: i'll take flex flexibility anytime
2: so, yeah. okay okay well the druid is off the board i'm coming to you next almaz you got three left you got the 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 holy knight with public power armor you That's got a fighter you want the public power I, armor
1: i want to be the yeah i'm the knight Okay. <laughs> Paladin,
2: awesome, perfect. I love it. So that means you're down to two. You can be a fighter with the slice of the system sword, or you can be a wizard with a pseudo
3: dragon, Paul. So I just want everyone to know I brought with me a a, a certified antique copy
1: of the (laughs) player's
3: handbook. Wow, I think it was published in 1980. So, uh, hey. Um, I'm going to be a wizard. I always loved being a wizard and, and, um, you know, it's kind of, uh, kind of nice to have a sidekick too. Um, so yeah. yeah. And, uh, now that being said, when you go around breathing fire, you, you know, um, you, you kind of count on resiliency and so, oh, yeah, uh, you need some resiliency. Yeah. So I'm all about, let's get out there and, and, you know, look at our transmission system, uh, you know, worry about maintenance, do upgrades. Let's make it uh rock solid. So we don't end up in court. So that's, that's what I'm going to look Are for. Are you saying, so when it's breathing fire, it doesn't burn down the village. Yeah. Is that what my, we're doing here? I yeah, love this. Yeah. this is my, my little pseudo dragon's going to be going right along all the lines and, and there we in, go, you know, inspecting them. So. Lines. <laughs> okay. So
2: we can't do a campaign today, but I at least wanted to like, figure out and get from each of you like what a strategy would be that you would want to employ in order to play the campaign the campaign being i should i think i missed this part of my notes uh, but i'm not a dungeon master by training so it's so it's forgivable so the campaign would be you have to protect these non-player characters from a horde of uh frost giants frost giants as big as the town just like yuri uh was as big as the texas grid our horde the, cl- the clan for the frost giant horde is named yuri they're the yuri clan of frost giants so uh if you were faced with preparing for a possible horde of frost giants any strategies you would deploy for your um for your characters we'll start with you mr deeds because you probably have the most experience and you can draw the others in help me out here
3: oh geez you know i'm gonna go with uh if I'm able, let's see here. Pseudo Dragon's able to fly at the wind and breeze fires bright as the sun. So I'm going to go with establishing high, high intelligence as uh, a wizard. We're, we're talking an SMR. Uh, we're talking nuclear power. We're putting it where we need to have it. And we're talking the kind of, of transmission system that is going to be able to distribute this power uh, cheaply and efficiently across the land. Um, and so would you Able. would you join Able. a
2: band of other utilities uh, in a in absolutely a, in a regional? What's it? a T in Dungeons and Dragons? It would be a clan, a regional. A re- oh, geez, that would be That's a, a good one. Okay, what do you got for us, Kevin? City. What, what state. would you? <laughs> a city state. Yeah.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, uh, you know, in our mythical world here with the frost dragons, which we're all fighting, right? We're all fighting. Um,
2: Yes, we're all fighting the frost dragons. You can partner with other characters here.
0: Yep, yeah, and that's my strategy, right? So, um, hey, I uh, you know I've got a lot of flexibility, but as you say, high marginal cost. You know, uh, how can I maybe jujitsu that a little bit, right? And uh, there's actually some diversity of uh, between. the Paladin and, uh, you know, Mr. Wizard there, right? Uh, Paul's Wizard, right? So I'd be looking to make an alliance, right? Um, well, that's a well, good idea. hey, Mr. Wizard, you know, uh, I can provide you, uh, you know, with my Flex Potions, a little bit of backing to maybe firm up some of your stuff for the right to, uh, you know, purchase at, uh, you know, say, Index Minus. Uh, which you could use, me a lot. Oh, You could use the, the flames way, to
2: make the potions.
0: Right. <laughs> and over there to Amaz and the Paladin and everybody, look, you're all going to take an equal whack, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you're hostages to each other. Y'all want to, you know, um, tell you what, um, let me sell you, you know, an insurance policy here with the right to call. Uh, when you may be in a pinch and, uh, you know, I'm not living off my marginal cost at that point. And, uh, yeah, I've engineered myself a nice little portfolio with a decent expected return that's hedged on both sides. And I made a couple of friends too. I got a new friend, the Paladin and the wizard. So, uh, it's, life is it's, good inter- here.
2: it's interesting, Kevin, that you chose to partner instead of building your own thing. I think you could have gotten some more, uh, points uh, by building your own potion making machine, but you decided to partner because you're risk mitigating for your customers. That's really good. Yeah, idea. I'm
0: a risk mitigating fella. Plus, you know, you never know when a friend may come in handy. So that that's extrinsic right. value of that friendship option, you know, don't underprice.
2: That's a, that's a great way of framing a friendship. Um, uh, Amaz, are you going to take Kevin up on his offer for friendship?
1: Absolutely, because he he knew exactly what we were willing to offer, right? So we we wanted to lean on the power of community, and everybody participating a little bit of demand response. Um, And so, uh, yeah, we we're we're all in on this partnership, on this alliance.
2: Okay, this sounds like a great alliance of a regional city-state organization um, that uh, that leans on each other and mitigates risk uh, with us with an SMR. What's an SMR in Dungeons and Dragons? Oh, that's magic. It's just magic. <laughs> it's just uh, you got a magic spellbook. It sounds like
0: must be a breeder reactor, Paul. Everybody thinks that's
2: alchemy. yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. Well, that's the game. Maybe someday we can get together. I have a hypothesis that we all talk about. Like, what is a like a, a board game for? for electric utilities. And I have the hypothesis that it's actually just a modified Dungeons and Dragons campaign, where you're just coming, like, it's just crazy risks you got to mitigate and figuring out how to deploy strategies to maximize your strength and minimize your weaknesses. What do you think, Mr. Dietz? Having played the game, am I, is this the game? Is this the game for public power
3: or just power? Absolutely. If, in fact, uh, I recommend playing D&D so that you can be better uh at what we do.
0: <laughs> oh, I like that. Great. You heard it
2: here. <laughs> you heard it here. Okay. Before we hand it back to Mr. Deeds for his closing thoughts, I just wanted to express my gratitude. Kevin, thank you. I hope you feel valued and appreciated.
0: Oh, absolutely. This has been wonderful. And, and again, thank you so much, Paul and Amaz, for the opportunity. And I, I love what you both do with this. It's just great. Thank you so much.
2: Yep. Thank I you. hope this was fun. Uh Mr. Dietz, I hope you feel seen, heard, valued, and appreciated. And I hope you
3: had fun. Oh boy. This was this is wonderful. I really did have a lot of fun. And and just to set the the uh the story straight here, uh I'm a big fan of public power.
1: <laughs> Good. That's yeah. Important clarification.
3: Important clarification happen. at the end
1: there. Never doubted it for a
3: minute, Paul. <laughs> but that's that's the sneaky thing about diversity of opinion. You got to you got to envision a world uh, you know differently. Got to yep. come at yep. it from right angles to get good solutions. So I, uh, I love <laughs> it. I
2: I really appreciated your perspective, and I appreciate you coming here. Amaz, do you feel did was this fun for you? Do you feel seen, heard, valued, and appreciated?
1: Absolutely, always, Paul.
2: Okay, that's all the energy and energy adjacent topics we're covering this week. Next
3: up, we're closing out the episode with closing thoughts from Paul Dietz. Well, what did we learn today? Well, uh, I think risk management don't mean a thing if it ain't got that ring of power. It also helps if it's used to solve practical problems with consistent metrics that are tailored to meet our customers' needs. We call that the risk trifecta. Risk management has to be practical, has to be consistent, and it has to be useful. With these, we can make risk-informed decisions about how best to deal with the opportunities and threats we will encounter as we carry on our adventure into the market transformation, carbon management, and heretofore unheard of demand growth as decarbonization occurs almost everywhere. I recommend that we all buy ourselves new sets of dice. You know the ones, D20, 12, 6, and a D4, because we're gonna need to do an awful lot of rolling before our adventure ends.
1: We started in hard times to bring us all in, into the
2: laughter. Public Power Underground is a production of Seattle City Light and Newsdata, the views expressed to your own and not the official views of Seattle City Light, Tacoma Power, Newsdata, or the organization of the guests also appearing on Public Power Underground. Public Power Underground is electric utility and electric utility-adjacent news from a power department's perspective. Today's episode was written and produced by Paul Dockery, Almaz Lagesh, Alan Bach, Sean Dockery, and Ian Bledsoe. And it's edited and published by the stellar team from Pioneer Utility Resources with sound mixing by Lucas Smith and video editing by Brendan Delzer. Our theme song, Roll On Enthusiasts, was rewritten, performed, and recorded by Aaron Gillery and Ian Bledsoe. You don't have to be subscribed to Newsdata's weekly newsletter to get this podcast, but it sure makes the podcast make a lot more sense. Bullet Power Underground for electric utility enthusiasts. Power underground. It's work to watch
3: roll on your powers the subject of public power news roll on enthusiasts roll on